Six million ways to mob, choose one. Okay. Oh, baby. The Big 2-0. It's from downtown. Episode 20. And as always, this is Nevin Brown. And I'm joined by... James Piercy. James Piercy. Yes. The one, the only. Uh, America's favorite Canadian. Probably, I mean, okay, mate. Second favorite Canadian behind... Brett the Hitman. Oh, I was gonna say Jim Carrey, and then mm. I was like, I was gonna say Drake, but then I was like, well, that's too obvious. Everyone, <laughs> how many Americans actually know that Drake is Canadian? Oh, do you guys? Do people not know that over there typically? No, I think like you know people that like Drake know that, but Drake is like such a big star that there's a lot of people that know Drake slash like Drake that don't know much about him. Yeah. That would that would piss a lot of people in Toronto off. I can tell you that. This is this is one thing I gotta I gotta understand. What's it with people getting so upset by this? It's like I think it's new, and I think it's social media's fault. God, I sound old, but like this whole slander culture, like. They slandered my city. They slandered my favorite player. They slandered my organization. I'm going to get up in arms because someone it's like, Hey, like not knowing that Drake is from Toronto. Sorry. Like when people think of Canada, they don't think of black people and they don't think of rappers. Like that's not like, maybe that's probably biased. And I'm not saying that's right, but I'm also saying like, when you think of Canada, you think of hockey. So let me, and, and obviously we're, we're digressing, but that's okay. We, we like to talk about things. Toronto is unique that way, I think. And, and that's part of why, because Toronto is the most multicultural city in the world. And ha- having spent most of my 20s there, I could tell you that there are a lot of black people and, and brown and yellow and white people and, and all everybody, right? Like it, like, and it literally is statistically the most multicultural city in the world. And so I think that Toronto particularly wants to be recognized for what it is. Another thing that I saw happen when I lived there was when I first moved there, it was just kind of a regular old city. And then the Raptors got good and Drake got famous and the weekend got famous. And all of a sudden Toronto starts to develop this, this identity of like, we are one of the best cities in North America, which I, I believe it is based on my travels and et cetera. And Torontonians want that recognition. Basically, uh, Toronto was like a guy that like wasn't cool in high school and then got to university and, and found himself and, and ended up being one of the coolest guys. You know, he's got that like chip on his shoulders a little bit. Yeah. And those people are never going to be the coolest because they demand that you respect their coolness. And that's oh, never one of the he's one cool. of the coolest, though. He's yeah, one but, of the coolest. You know, here's the thing. Toronto, like you can be as dope as you want to be. You're never going to beat New York. You're never going to beat la because they got history they got like it's true you know it's like no franchise is ever going to surpass the lakers or the celtics in history like they just got that shit on lock you're right okay so this episode we're going to preview the pacific division and you might be asking yourself why are you previewing divisions the season's already started and i'm going to respond with one 
time management skills aren't as good as I initially had thought. Um, two, shut the fuck up. No one, like, no one <laughs> actually, no one actually cares about the NBA until Christmas. So I just consider like the first, you know, October, November, that period of the NBA, just the preseason that counts. And one of the teams of the Pacific Division, the Lakers, are taking that concept to new, to new heights. Um, <laughs> but anyways, before we talk about the Pacific Division, because the season's actually started, um, some teams have played two games, some teams have played one game. The all-anti-vax team, spearheaded by Kyrie Irving, has played zero games. So has Ben Simmons, but he's vaccinated, allegedly. Maybe not. Who cares? So, James. What's been your favorite early season development? My favorite early season development has probably been the New York Knicks offense. Honestly, it is, uh, it, it's, it's two games deep. So obviously, you know, it means very little. It's a very no. small sample size. Massive sample. That is a massive sample. It's not, it is not, <laughs> but part of me looks at it and wonders, if it's sustainable. First of all, let me let me uh, preface it by saying this. I almost said the Bulls defense, but then I looked and I saw that they've played the Pistons and the Pelicans. I had to remind myself of that. And the Pelicans actually did manage to hang like 112 points on them or something. And so then I thought, well, that's meaningless. You know, like like they held the Pistons to 84 points. So that's meaningless. Without um, Cade Cunningham. Without Cade Cunningham. Exactly. Yeah. Although they might have scored 84 points with Cade Cunningham in his first NBA game for that matter. But regardless the Knicks offense has a chance to be maybe sustainable I look at it and I go yeah they only added a bunch of kind of like marginal pieces but maybe that's enough for a team that already had what like a middling offense last year I think um, it was a, I think a slightly below average offense but their defense was like top five so yeah right those things are if their defense is going to be around the top five this season their so offense they- doesn't have to be that good Let's say they can move their offense. Obviously, you know, right now they have like the best offense in the league through two games, and that's meaningless. But if they can bump their offensive rating up like like five spots in in, in the ratings with the additions of Fournier and Kemba, neither of whom are stars at this stage in their careers, but both of whom can go out and get a bucket and can get hot on certain nights. And then you've got Randall as kind of the engine of the whole thing. Like if they can go from having... I'm estimating here like a 16th rated offense to, to a 11th or 12th rated offense and, and maintain the defense. They could be better this year than they were last year, which neither of us thought heading into the season. I know, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to keep watching them anyway. Yeah, that's actually, I like that. I like that pick. Um, not because I like that it's happening. I'm actually furious that the Knicks have looked good because I was like, they're not going to be that good this year. But, you know, we'll see because Tom Thibodeau, I love him as a coach because I think he's one of these. I think he's a great coach in that he gets his team ready to play and ready to play hard every night. It's just it. It's kind of crazy to say this. And it's kind of why I was saying um, the NBA needs fewer games before we started recording is because having a coach that's able to do that should be like a massive advantage. And it almost seems like a disadvantage in the NBA where it's just like, you'll run out of fumes. It's early in the season. It's two games. It could just be hot three point shooting. You you never know, but Hey, you're right. And the Knicks like are just better at offense. Even if they take a step back defensively, 
I think that helps them in the long run. The only thing that matters to me is, hey, Tibbs, like, maybe get these guys to, like, take a night off. Maybe you take a night off, take a practice off, because they went out and played big minutes in the preseason, probably helped them out early on in the season, hit the ground running. But I don't know. I, I, I just I just go, we've been down this road before with Tibbs coach teams where we're like, oh, like, they do great in the regular season. Why do they suck in the playoffs? And, oh, it's because – the human body has the capacity for only so much running and listening to. Ah, ah. <laughs> I, I assume that's what I don't even know if Tibbs says words. I feel like he's kind of it's like a dog, like a dog barks, but like at different like <laughs> levels and tones. But he's just like, ah, and that's like, oh, switch off, switch that screen. That's what that's what yeah, Tibbs means when he does that. He's yeah. got like a translator in practice. He's like, so when Tibbs goes, ah, I mean, you got to box out better. That's right. I guess my early early season favorite development, which is sounds like a bad uh, translation. Um, let's see. You know, I was going to say Nikola Jokic just kicking the shit out of DeAndre Ayton and then doing it again last night and him just being the league MVP last year, picking up where he left off and no one talking about it. But I think my favorite early season development is the Jordan Poole hype train because – I think Jordan Poole is a solid NBA player, but my God, for a guy that like didn't shoot that well, but took a lot of shots and that his team won against the Lakers in opening night. Yeah. Like he, he, he helped carry that team. He had a really, he had a good game, but like, let's, let's pump the brakes on a guy who basically we're excited about because the Warriors finally have someone outside of Steph Curry in the absence of Clay Thompson, who will just take crazy shots. And I feel like people love horrible three-pointers. Like, they don't have to go in. It's just, like, the, the audacity. It's like, that dude just pulled up from there. And if it looks pretty enough, like, as long as you don't clank it, like, off the backboard or, like, airball it, as long as, like, you miss it off the rim, people are like, that was close, and that's a hard shot. That guy must be good. And I'm like... So I'm all for this Jordan Poole hype trade. Not because I think like, you know, he's a he's an all-star, but I think he's a good player. And I love it when we fall in love with a player who's not that good. Yeah, I I respect that. Actually, the, the uh Jordan Poole hype train reminds me a lot of the Kevin Porter Jr. hype train, actually. I, I find that there just seems to be a certain contingent of guys on Twitter who are 100% sure that this is going to be one of the best players in the NBA, you know? And it's like, hold on. We haven't seen nearly enough, but the kid is talented though. I'm not denying that. Right. It's just that, yeah. you know, what, what, what you really look to see is can raw talent translate into consistent encore production. Right. And it's just too early in Poole's career to say that it can, but he's a player worth keeping an eye on. He, he, he definitely has that shot creating ability. Yeah, and the other thing is, I'll say this. Everyone looks better next to Steph Curry. If you yep. play with Steph Curry, you will look better. Like Andrew Wiggins, people are like, I, the way people talk about Andrew Wiggins now, it's as if he's a good basketball player. But I'm like, guess what? He takes fewer, more efficient shots. So he scores fewer points at a better efficiency because he plays next to Steph Curry. Oh, his defense has gotten better. 
well, yeah, he plays next to Draymond Green, and you're not asking him to, like, be a focal point on offense. He has a bit more energy. It's actually, when we get to the Lakers, it's a thought I have about Russell Westbrook that I'm saving that I think you will enjoy because I think it's, it makes him, it's what makes him a unique, singular player that people love and others hate. Okay, but let's move over to the Pacific Division. Let's preview this Pacific Division. Have you ever been to the Pacific Ocean before we get going? You ever been to the Pacific? Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to want you to edit out my response because I, I kind of hikey can't remember uh again my geography is poor you know where you know where vancouver is yes i've been to the pacific ocean okay okay so (laughs) that wait that's right yeah 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 i spent a little time in uh victoria bc man i I suck at oceans dude like tell me like like greece uh touches the pacific ocean is that true greece the country yeah the greece isn't Greece technically doesn't touch any ocean because it's in the Mediterranean Sea. Ah, well, seas and oceans are pretty much the same, right? Yeah, but the Mediterranean, no, they're not. But Mediterranean Sea is connected to very, very small, connected to the Atlantic Ocean. They're, they're nowhere close. I'm just saying, like, that, that, what you said, Greece touches the Pacific Ocean, is, is a blooper reel. But it's all one ocean, man. You know, these, uh, these imaginary borders, what good, what good are they doing us? That's a Atlantic, that's a Pacific. Six million ways to mob, choose one. So... I have this question because I was just looking at the the teams in this division. I was looking at what they did in the off season. And I was wondering, did the Pacific division improve the most this off season? Because I don't think any team actively took a step back. Yeah. Um, well, the Clippers actively took a step back in a way that they absolutely can't help, obviously. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I wouldn't consider one of their, their best player getting injured being an active step back. I, mean, I guess they passively took a step back, actually. Well, if you just assume Kawhi is not going to be there this year, even though he may, he may come back at some point. But if you assume that, like, he's not there, I think, you know, they upgraded, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's true. They did. If, if you were to take Kawhi as, like, if you counted him, then, yeah, they did. They did upgrade. I agree. Yeah, it probably is the most improved division in the league, right? Realistically, the Warriors got possibly significantly better. It's a little bit difficult to say the Lakers got better, but like I guess they got better, right? Well, they did a lot of shit. They did a lot of shit. Yeah, that's right. They tried to get better. That's for sure, right? I mean, I think. I think they tried to get better. (laughs) Yeah. I think that uh, was the whole plan. That must, that, I mean, I'm assuming that was the plan, but just looking at the moves, you go, what? Yeah. The uh, Suns didn't really do much. Well, I, let, let's run through the preview, but I think the short answer is yes. I think it's probably the most improved division in the, in the league. I actually think that the Lakers are the only team in this division that got worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Okay, let's uh, let's start out with the Warriors because once again, that's just the order I put them in, and we'll finish up with the Lakers. So, all the Lakers fans listening to this podcast, you have to sit here and listen or fast forward. I don't really care either one, but you might want to hear us make fun of the Clippers, right? So, <laughs> stick around, Lakers fans. Okay, so let's talk about the Warriors. Significant moves. Here's who they brought in: Nemanja. Bajelica. Belizia, I think. Belizia. Well, I it was going to say BJ Elica, so, you know, <laughs> Belizia. Whatever, man. Come on. Like, you, you got to cut me some slack. These, these, these names from languages that I do not speak, it's always tough. They brought back Andre Iguodala, who had been really bad his last two stops, and then as soon as he comes back to the Warriors, they're like, oh, shit. They brought back. They didn't bring back. They brought in Otto Porter, and they got him on Weight Watchers, and that seems to be going well. And they drafted Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, and those are their most significant moves in. Their two significant moves out are Eric Paschal and Kelly Oubre Jr. And Oubre Jr. we both like, but he was admittedly awful last year for the Warriors. So their significant moves out aren't that significant, and their significant moves in I think are pretty good. And that doesn't even mention one of their significant moves in this season will be Clay Thompson. If and when he ever is ready to go. And they still have the, I think, the best trade package for a superstar. So what do you think about the the Warriors offseason? Like, love. I'm going to go with like, personally. One thing that... I can't sort of get my head around or, or can't stop myself from feelings that there's no sense in this squad rostering Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman. I, I really think that it's begging for them to consolidate those guys into a star player. And I, I mean, I, I guess that the star that they wanted wasn't available over the off season that, that, that that's fair enough, but I don't usually believe in straddling two timelines that way. I, I think that you've got to pick a side and go all in for the most part. Like, I can't really think of a team that had that kind of setup where they've got a veteran core and then also a bunch of young prospects that won a championship and then went on to be really good once those prospects developed also. Like, I, I don't think it usually happens that way, right? Yeah. And there's no, they're not going to lean into the rebuild. That's out of the question. Like, they're not going to trade Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, and Draymond Green. Ergo, I think they should be looking at trading some combination of Kuminga, Moody, and Wiseman for Christian Wood at the deadline if I had my way. But if not, uh, you know, if Bradley Beal becomes available, obviously pounce on that. It's hard to say exactly what the return is, but I think they should be looking. That's a nice collection of young guys, and they should be looking to turn it into a star player, in my opinion. But I do like the offseason. Otto Porter Jr., I really thought was – the value signing of the offseason because he, he he's a perfect fit for them at, at, at like that cost you couldn't possibly ask for better um Belizia is a nice solid fit for them Kelly Oubre Jr. was a really bad fit for them and they got rid of him it's a good offseason uh but if this team wants to play for the NBA championship I, I, they're going to, have to do something to get another star what do you think I actually think this team can make it to the finals for one simple reason, who in the West is that good that they can beat a core of Steph Curry, 
Draymond Green, and a bunch of really talented, smart role players. I might even throw in Clay Thompson in there just because one, I don't think he's gonna be that good this year. He may he may get back to close to what Clay Thompson used to be, but expecting him to be a good defensive player this season after missing two years with serious, serious injuries, I think is fucking stupid. Like I'm really tired of listening to podcasts, listening to people in basketball media be like, oh man, when Clay Thompson comes back, yo, when Clay Thompson comes back, he won't have played basketball in like over two years. You do realize the last time he was playing basketball, Kawhi Leonard was leading the Toronto Raptors to a championship. How long ago does that feel? Right? Long ago. I know. And so I'm just, I'm just going, look, like he, he can probably still shoot, but there's a lot of guys who can still shoot. Like he's what, is he, he's just Joe Harris. And if he, if he can't play defense, at an elite level or even a good level. So I would just say, like, I think basically this is a team built around Steph Curry on offense, Draymond Green on defense. And those two guys basically give you the most versatility possible. And they have a bunch of smart veterans that they can kind of mix and match. So, and look, what I saw from game one is that like their offense is already humming. And that's like, it's important for team like as much as we say oh like don't worry about like the first month or so of the season if you can bag wins in the first month or so of the season they still count at the end it's not like people are like yo those wins in november those are actually half wins you don't get the one seed so i could see them getting a good seed they look really good i wasn't expecting them to be that great and i will say to your straddle two timelines if they can like be the one or two seed maybe they're not like you know gonna guarantee making the finals I feel like the one or two seed and you can develop Moody, Kaminga, and Wiseman. I, I think you do it. I think you do straddle the two timelines. If the win now timeline is good enough to get you to a Western conference finals or be in that picture and the future timeline is developing and you like what you see. Now, if like you, if you're not, if you're going, you know, I don't think Wiseman's actually going to be all that good. Yeah. Fucking move him. Move him before anyone else realizes that. Hmm. But if you believe in him and you believe in Kaminga and you like what you see from all from the, uh, those two in Moody, and this team can make it, you know, make it to the second round of the playoffs and probably make it, you know, to the, the conference finals, I think you do it because I don't think Steph Curry is going to fucking demand a trade if you lose in the Western Conference Finals. Let let I agree I agree with that. But let me say this: you say. Um, your question earlier was who's a team that can beat the Warriors with Steph and Draymond, essentially. I think in a playoff series with the Utah Jazz, every minute that Steph's not on the floor is a bloodbath because the Jazz are one of the deepest teams in the league and the Warriors are not. <laughs> and I, I, I have a feeling that when Curry has to, you know, take some rest – and, you know, God forbid he gets hurt. Well, I mean, if he gets hurt, they're sunk anyway. But if he yeah. has to take a rest, they're going to get destroyed every single minute that he's not on the floor. So then, you know, Ooh. if he has to play 40-plus minutes a night, you increase the risk of him getting hurt. Like, I, I just think that they, they, they're they still hurting for another option on offense, especially if Ooh. we assume that Clay Thompson's not going to come back and be the Clay Thompson of old. Pool party. When Curry's... 
Thompson comes back. Curry sits. It's the pool party. <laughs> um, nah, I don't man. know if that's going to be effective NBA offense. It's not. But it's going to be fun to say. It's the pool party. I love the you pool the party. Splash, don't get you have the Splash Bros and the pool party. It makes perfect thematic sense. And I just came it's, up with that right there. I don't know if someone else has. I'm sure someone else has. Like, if someone else hasn't come up with that, we're, like, the world is get way on fucking, it. the world is way fucking dumber than I, than, <laughs> yeah. than it yeah. should be. Because that one, that one, that one's too obvious. Let, let, dude, let me just finish my point, uh, actually. Uh, that, yeah. But I, I, I love that. I love that about the pool party and the Splash Bros at the pool party. But who do you like better? Uh, Steph Curry and Jordan Poole or Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, Bojan Bogdanovic, not to mention Rudy Gobert. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like they just, they need another high level offensive option. Um, yes and no, because I'll say this, the, the spread pick and roll is great at maximizing your best player, but it's not great at maximizing the other four guys out there on the court. But the way the Warriors play offense, it's not a spread pick and roll. There's all the screening, ball movement, and off-ball movement. that They actually play one of the few offenses in the league where, like, guys – like, the offense is making everyone better at offense. So, like, from an individual talent standpoint, I agree with you. Yeah, the Jazz probably have a deeper team. Now, I'd also say at the top level of talent – the Warriors have a better have, have better talent. But it's like the way they play offense makes it so like a guy like Nemanja, BJ, Alicia, um, <laughs> um, um, it's like someone like him can like have a really good night against the Lakers who like admittedly have good defensive centers, right? Like he's someone that like, is he, Rudy Gobert going to dunk all over him? Sure, but like he can move around and pull him away from the basket and like do some cool things. And, and so I, just that's maybe I'm overreacting to like watching them just like move the ball and make the Lakers defense. Like they got a fuckload of easy layups, like just from moving the ball and cutting. And I think they're one of the few teams in the league that have said, we're not just going to do the spread pick and roll to maximize our best offensive talents. What we're going to do is we're going to have an offense where if we get this right, everyone's a better offensive player. And like, there's, it's like, it's hard to do. And that's why teams don't like to do it. But if you can get it to work, and especially if a guy like Curry, you just create space by like being on the court. I think it's like, that's, that's where they get the boost. And if pool is going to take shots and even if he doesn't hit a ton of them, if you're going to take Curry level threes, if guys start defending those, I mean, there's going to be space for everyone. Let me, you, you raise good points, but at the same time, what concerns me is like, is Jonathan Kuminga in particular really going to be able to acclimatize to like a motion based ball movement and cutting based offense in his rookie year? Because he looks like basketball IQ is the area in which he needs the most development right now. Right. And yeah. that, that ain't great in Steve Kerr's system. I think Moody looks ready to go. If anything, I think they'd love to, to move off Wiseman and Kaminga and hold on to Moody because he looks like a high IQ guy. He's a sharp passer. Uh, I think he, he looks like a kid that can figure out the system pretty quickly. He's a good defender. But I wonder if Kuminga and Wiseman's rawness is, is going to hold this team back from maximizing its effectiveness. And if they can get a good veteran for those guys, man, 
I mean, they, they, they could be, they could become championship favorites. Maybe they're holding off, you know, maybe they're holding off for somebody to demand a trade, but like if they could flip those guys for a win now player, I love their odds. So I still think that's the play. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that would be a bad decision. And I agree that they, if they do that, they could become championship favorites. Like I a hundred percent agree with that. I just go, if I'm an organization that's invested as much money as they have, do I really want to do short-sighted win now moves or do I want to like have a situation where, Hey, like we're a playoff team for the next 10, 15 years. And because these are businesses. And it's like, if you trade those guys and push everything in for now, it's like, yeah, you're going to like increase your revenue right now, but there's a good chance that like that awesome arena you built, no one's going to be in because at the end of the day, you're still the fucking warriors. And this is California. And this is like, Lake. it's still Lakers nation, right? Like if you're not good and the Lakers are good, people will stop paying attention to you even though you're like hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Los Angeles. It's just, it's the reality of the situation. That's a fact. I, I sometimes like to just uh, sort of omit those types of considerations from my assessment and just kind of keep it basketball. But of course you're, you're right that uh, business wise, it, it must be very tempting to hold on to these young guys so that you have a chance to be good again in 10, 15 years. They're also, if they, this is the other thing is you say, Hey, like you might be able to be a championship favorites this year. Sure, but like, let's say like they develop well over this season, and then next year they're ready to contribute. Yeah, I just think Kuminga looks like a guy who's a little bit rawer than that. That that's to me, it's like when I, when they took Kuminga, my first thought was like, okay, they're thinking about him as a trade chip because they would have went with uh, Franz Wagner if, if they were looking for a guy that like could come in and, and and help them win right now, right? Like there were guys on the board that looked like ready-made NBA contributors who probably didn't have all that high ceiling, but they went with the raw, super high ceiling prospect. I don't know. I just think, I think you can say, especially as a bench player, Kaminga, you're just doing this when you're out there on the court. Cause if Kaminga is out there with like Steph Curry and there's some space and he gets the ball and they're like, when you catch it, just dribble at the rim. There's going to be a lot of space. Like, you know, maybe he's like, it's like, can he be a good cog in this offense? I don't know, but I know if you give the dude a lot of space, he's a freak and he can, he can attack the rim and make stuff happen. And at the end of the day, they don't need him or Wiseman to be all that good this year. They just need them to like, what play like eight or nine minutes. And they have that upside where it's like, Hey, in eight or nine minutes, like they could just take over a game and you're all of a sudden you're like, Oh fuck. Like we won, we won those eight or nine minutes because of them you might lose some of those eight or nine minutes because they're young and raw. Sure. But like, that's like very few guys that you play that you're expecting to play at little have the ability to like give your team a boost and you're kind of expecting to lose those minutes anyways. So it's like, I get what you're saying. I just also go, you know, there's a chance that these guys can be useful next season and they're still going to be a good team next season unless they get someone super good. Like, I don't even think it's worth getting Beal. Ooh. Like, look, I really think Beal's great, but it's like, like, you, if Jordan Poole is like 75% of Beal and you have Clay Thompson yeah. back, you know, it, it's like, and you have Steph Curry already, it's like, does it, like, how much, because you're going to have to trade Poole if you get him. 
you're going to have to trade Kaminga if you get him, right? Like you're going to have to trade good players. It's like, how much better does he actually make you compared to the guys you already have? And I think Beal's really good. It's just, I don't think this team desperately needs him in the way that a team like, I think Philly would really get a boost from. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that point. It's almost like a diminishing return where it's like, okay, well, you already have elite three-point shooting scores on this team. So like, yeah, there's maybe a little bit of redundancy between Beal and, and Curry. Uh, maybe they'd be better off getting a, like an elite wing slash big offensive player like Christian Wood, who they should trade Jonathan Kaminga for tomorrow. I wouldn't me. do that. I wouldn't. If I was like, if I was a Warriors, I'd be like, I'm not giving up Kaminga for Christian Wood. I completely agree. Yeah, no, I completely agree. But yeah, I just, I just think that ultimately. They're short and elite player, but but I, let's 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 move on. I, I I see what you're saying as well. What 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 do you think about the over under uh, forty eight and a half wins? Ooh, after the first two games, I would say the over, but I'm going to take the under because I just people forget that Steph Curry normally gets injured, <laughs> um, and if he's out the this team isn't going to be that good and if he's out before clay thompson is back they're really gonna i think have a a rough patch so i'll take the under just because i'm hedging my bets but if curry plays 75 games they're going to be win 50 games plus like easy like i think that's just from these first two games i think there's no way it's not happening Yeah, for me, this is one of those cases, as often enough is the case, where I just like the the over-under, you know? Like, I I think they'll win 47, 48, 49 games. So, uh, I guess I'm going to take the under, I think, but pretty cautiously and and really not very passionately, you know? Uh, it's, It's a tight one. All right. Let's go talk about a team that, like, I don't know, just made the NBA Finals. (laughs) <laughs> the Phoenix Suns, my bad, the Phoenix Suns. So significant moves in. I don't think they made any. I mean, they retained Chris Paul, but he was already there. They extended Mikel Bridges. They extended Landry Shamit. <laughs> he wasn't even on the team last year. I guess he's a significant addition. Damn, is he, is he a significant addition? That's a question. He, he's and a they did not extend... Aiden, but he's still there, so good for, for them. They brought in JaVale McGee, who is a backup NBA center, and they didn't really lose anyone of, of note. So let's talk about the Suns. Can they – let's not talk can they get back to the finals. I think, sure, they could, but I don't think anyone is expecting that because we all acknowledge they made it the NBA finals because they got a good slate of opponents who were all missing key players. What do you think we should expect from the Suns this season in terms of, are they going to be one of the best teams in the West and be a, make themselves to be a championship contender again? Or are they going to be kind of in the same situation they were last year where it's like win a lot of regular season games, but things are going to need to break right for them really to make a deep run. I think more more the latter, personally. I, I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic on the Suns this year. I'll tell you why. In my opinion, often, when a team has a successful season, like they just did, but you can point to luck to some extent, and then that team doesn't 
do anything to add a wrinkle into their tack, like like doesn't do anything to, to improve, kind of stagnates, and if anything, slightly regresses on paper. It, it has a disproportionate effect on their success because teams have had a whole year to game plan for the Suns. And now if it's going to be the same Suns again, teams are that much closer to knowing how to stop them. I think we saw this when the Miami Heat made the finals in the bubble, and then they came back the following year, and all they did was lose Jay Crowder, and they kind of sucked. And we saw it similarly when the Rockets made the Western Conference Finals in 2017-18. And then they lost Trevor Ariza and didn't really add anything. And they came back and kind of sucked. Like, you have to add a wrinkle or else teams are teams have a whole year's more of experience of knowing how to guard what it is you're doing. I also think that we're underrating, and when I say we, I mean most people that talk about basketball the significance of Dario Saric's injury. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I, I think he really uh, greased the, the the second unit's offense. I know that, like, he's a weird case where the metrics didn't really smile on him that much, but lineups with him had really good offensive ratings. And I, I think it's just for the fact of getting that spacing at that position. That was 18, 19 minutes a night where the, where the Suns were able to throw something different at you. You know, you had DeAndre Ayton at the five starting and he's a physically imposing rim running rim protecting center and then they had this kind of uh curveball they could throw at you for 18 minutes a night and dario sarge now it's going to be mcgee i don't i'm not really optimistic about that they've kind of suffered some positional versatility that they had before and there's a larger onus on cameron Payne to carry the second unit which i i just don't think is a great game plan you know finally chris paul's going to be a year older there's a little bit of unrest around the team with Aiden's failed extension negotiations. I just think that they're, they're going to regress a little bit. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I don't believe that there is a failed DeAndre Aiden negotiation. It's not a negotiation if someone says, I want this contract. And they're like, well, we don't want to give you it. And it's like, well, too bad. That was, that's not a negotiation. Aiden said, I want to be paid like I'm better than I've shown. That's fine. We've already talked about that previous pod. The Suns' best player is Chris Paul. And that's a fucking problem. Not because Chris Paul isn't great, but because Chris Paul's really fucking old. And there's a chance that, like, I don't know, he doesn't play 82 games, that he gets injured because he, he gets injured. And I do think that this team ran into the issue that a lot of teams that make surprise runs to the finals have is they go oh we're really good we're really close we just need to we get these guys back everyone will get a bit better but i think like for instance i don't think booker is like that good like when i say that good i mean like he's obviously a really good nba player but i don't think he's like that good i don't think he's the best player on a championship team good I don't think he's actually probably even like right now, second best player on a championship team. Good. But I also think he thinks that he is. And if he doesn't grow as a player, then this team isn't moving up in the standings. And his skill set is, I think, unfortunately, like a little bit maximized outside of him just taking and making more three pointers. He's awesome in the mid range, but those are low value shots. It's like, you know, he can make it pseudo valuable, but it's not something you want the basis of your offense to be built around. He doesn't get to the rim as much as you would like. 
And that to me is still the most important skill on offense, getting to finishing at the rim because you get a bunch of free throws. His passing is all right. Um, it's probably a bit better than we, than we can see statistically because Chris Paul's in charge of that, but his defense isn't great. So we're talking about a guy where like, he just really, he needs to have that like last season, Donovan Mitchell realization that I need to take a fuckload of threes and I need to hit them. And barring him doing that, I just don't think they have enough because their best player is Chris Paul, who once again is great. It's just, can we count? We have Chris Paul's never been healthy for a full, a full playoff run. Yeah. It, it's, it's like he, his team is a championship contender until he gets hurt in the playoffs. And I think they'll win a bunch of games in the regular season. I think they have a, a really solid, well-rounded squad. I think, you know, cause actually this is a dirty secret. Mikel Bridges is probably their second best player, not in terms of talent, but in terms of like what he brings to the team, he's the second best player. He's, he's asked to be the team's third best player. And he's so good at being the third best player that he is the second best player in terms of value. Um, if you were to expand his role, I don't think that would be the case, but like in the role that he is, he provides the second most value on that team outside of Chris Paul and championship teams aren't like that. Their second best player provides the second most value. That that's kind of my feeling with them. Yeah. Now I, w- I would say, I will say that to say that Mikel Bridges is the second best player is a pretty smoking hot take, but I, I, I do know what you're saying in terms of He's, it's not a smoking hot take. The, the metrics play bear, bore it out last season that he was their second most valuable player. And is that because his role is smaller than someone like Booker's? Yes. Like Booker is individually more talented offensive player, but like Booker is also a way worse defensive player. And Mikel Bridges efficiency is so fucking high that he doesn't like even at a small volume, he provides a ton of offensive value. You go look at the box plus minus, you go look at the VORP, and it's like the difference between him and Booker was pretty big last season. I want to I want to bring up a comparison uh, on basketball reference if if you'll allow my slow computer to do its thing because I'm, I'm I'm curious. Yes, yes, the computing speed. It's yeah, like I... it's like a watching like movies from the '90s and '80s with like the hackers, and it's like watching what they're doing on the computer you're like okay you're just like that's not this is taking too long <laughs> yeah 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 or it's like a uh i always laugh at hacking uh mechanisms in video games where it's like uh oh, find find a related word to this word and if you find it properly then you know the password to this like top secret computer you know and it's like Swordfish. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think this is how American government protects their information, you know. But... Swordfish. Yeah. All right, I'm almost there. Yeah. We could edit out that hacking talk or not, but you know, it's something to think about. Ah, okay. Ah, we can we could save it for when we when there's a NBA hacking scandal. <laughs> it's coming. Well, I mean, Colangelo's wife allegedly hacked his uh, social media. Do you remember that? Do not, but that sounds like one of those. That sounds like one of those things. Like you don't remember it because it's just obviously a lie. Possibly, quite possibly. Yeah, dude, you're you're a hundred percent right. Um, Bridges smacks Devin Booker in in all the advanced metrics. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll just read them out, even though I'm feeling I'm getting the feeling like you already know this, but uh, Vorp Vorp Bridges posted three Devin Booker uh one point one. Not very good. 
Box plus minus Bridges 3.0, Booker negative 0.1. Uh win shares, Bridges eight, Booker 4.9. Now, I think we can both agree that there is an effect here where those types of on-off metrics tend to favor sometimes lower usage players. Like Booker's not a little more, bit of a victim. Not more per box plus minus, though. That's the thing. Win shares, yes. Win shares that overvalues efficiency and doesn't take into context volume as well. But VORP values and understands that more offensive volume, you don't need as much efficiency. And like that to me is like the big thing is that like box plus minus takes into account that Booker has a larger share of the offense and it penalizes bridges for not. Right. But I guess what all I mean is that we obviously both know that the team is always going to rely on Booker to try to score more points for them than Bridges because he's a yeah. more talented offensive player. You know what I mean? Like, and 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 that ultimately is a certain type of value that maybe transcends advanced metrics a little bit. Well, here's the thing. But, here's the thing. Yeah. Bridges effectiveness and like actual like efficiency. So good. Would he like, if you gave him Devin Booker's volume, like, would he be able to match his efficiency? Like, why wouldn't he be able to match that? Because he has such a massive advantage already. I think he doesn't have the handles and the shot creation and, and the, the I, I sound like ball don't stop now, right? But, like, he, he doesn't have the bag. He doesn't have the, the footwork yeah. in the mid-range, you know? Like, he's, he's just not that type of offensive player, I don't think. No, and I agree with that, but that was kind of my point was it's like the problem with the Suns is their second best player is actually their third best player. And they yeah. really need their second best player to actually be their second best player. No, your, your point is really strong because the fact that you can make a case that Mikel Bridges is their second best player is pretty problematic, right? Yeah, and he yeah. it's not like, it's why he got like, it's why I think the contract is great. And he's like, an awesome third option, but for a championship team, you want Bridges to actually be your third best player and your third most valuable player. I mean, you want him to be your fourth best player, really, right? Like Aiden. One of the things, like Aiden is like their fourth best player. Their fourth best player, yeah. And like, you know, I would say he's not even their fourth most important player. I think Jay Crowder is more important than what that team he, did last season. He may be. Um, it's why he didn't get the max deal. Okay. We've been talking a lot about why we don't think the Suns are great, but their over under is 51 and a half wins. And I think we're both going to agree that like you, they're probably going to get the over. I mean, I would say they're probably going to get the over because Chris oh. Paul wins you 50 plus games. I'm taking the under. You think they're going to be significantly worse than they were last year? No, I, I'd say I'd say they'll win 47, 48 games is what I like for them. They won 51 games last year and they're we're playing 10 more this season. That means they have to go win, go one in nine in the 10 new games and maintain that record. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, that's uh, just, that's the way I see it. And I know Chris Paul teams win in the regular season. That tends to be true. That tends to be true. Okay. So the, the over is making a little more sense as you talk. Um, really the, the, the deficiencies that we're pointing to, are more indicative of like their their potential playoff success and like, yeah. like deeper problems. Yeah, that's true. All right, I'll take I'll take the over, but it's they're not going way over though. I don't. Oh I don't no, think so. no, no. I mean, look, if they get fifty two wins, that like I think they're fifty two to fifty five win team. And like, look, if Booker makes a jump, 
then this will look this conversation will will have is look will look stupid and people say booker took a jump he did not take a jump last season and we think that because he had some big playoff games he also had like multiple 10 point playoff games like consistency is so so important at the top tier it's the difference between lebron and kevin porter jr is that is not that kept like you know the top tier ability in like single games like kevin porter jr can draft 50 points against the bucks right with like 10 assists and we go like he's got that ability the difference is lebron can do 30 points every night and kevin porter jr can't do 30 points every night the consistency is what makes you a superstar not the top end talent. Okay. Okay. We talked too much about the Suns, even though they got a lot of stuff going on in their orbit, but let's move, let's move away from Arizona and Phoenix and let's move to what might as well be Nevada, Sacramento, because sorry, sorry. It's the capital of California yet. It's also like what the 10th most interesting city in California. If that, um, yeah, it's it's sad. Sad life. The Kings are kind of they really embody their own city um, <laughs> in like the worst way. So let's talk about the significant moves in for the Kings. So I think actually had a pretty good offseason. Davian Mitchell in the draft, not super sold on him, but he's 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 a solid player, probably, especially as a rookie. Bring in Tristan Thompson's. Um, so that's a name people know. I don't know if he's I don't think he's still good or even okay and they brought in alex len and whenever i see alex len there's a there's a chain in the dc area called len the plumber and alex len is definitely a plumber type of player so i just whenever i see him i'm like len the plumber um so you know that's that's why i like him as a player i need to bring him up and then there's significant moves out. I mean, they lost to Son Whiteside. Oh no! I would only say that Whiteside counts as a significant subtraction if Tristan Thompson counts as a significant addition, right? So, it, or Alex Len for that matter, who I I think is one of the scrubbiest scrubs in the NBA personally. Yeah, they they, they made some some kind of lateral moves around like who their backup five is going to be. Basically, that 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 was that was kind of their main offseason. Oh, and then, well, Marvin Bagley is technically out because they informed him that he's not going to be playing for them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I get that Marvin Bagley isn't going to be playing for them. Like, he hasn't shown to be good. He doesn't really fit what they're trying to do. Their offense is going to be created by their guards. Like, I get all of that. Why the fuck didn't you just trade him? (laughs) Does anybody want him? There must be something you can get for him, though. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not even that. Like he's he's the number two overall pick in the last year of his deal. He's not getting paid nothing, right? Like there's just if you're not going to play a guy, you can get something. Like even if you, even if like what, unless he has negative value and you have to give something back to get off of him. But like I can't imagine some bad. Like why wouldn't the Thunder be like? Here's a second round pick. We have a, we have 90 of these things. We don't even need them. Let's just see if Marvin Bagley, maybe he's okay. Like we don't have to give him a max deal, but like, you know, we have his rights and we can just work trying to suck. Maybe if he's bad, good. Cause we're trying to suck. And if he's not cool, we got, we got a little something for free. You're right. It's odd that they just literally haven't done anything with him. And now he's just been informed 
Like, I think he's probably pretty bad for team culture because it seems like his dad is very actively involved in in criticizing his son's team publicly and stuff. I fucking hate that, man. I, it frustrates me so much when these NBA parents like assert their influence on the ongoing situations with their son's NBA team. It's like, dude, you're just some guy. Whatever you do for a living, focus on that. Your son is in the NBA. You're not. Well, I, I will say this. I don't know if you know this about Marvin Bagley, but his grandfather was like a pioneer in free agency. No. Yeah. Um, and he got absolutely fucked by the league and by an owner. Like he signed a contract that like had like a pension in it that like was basically it was like, cause before guys got paid a ton of money, like getting a pension actually out of your contract is like a great thing. Cause most of these guys, like you don't, you didn't make enough to like do nothing for the rest of your life. Yeah. And so he got this like really good pension out of this contract that he signed. Cause he was a pretty good player. And the owner basically like spent years trying to like fuck him out of it and give him less money or get, get it completely away. So if Marvin Bagley's family if there's going to be any NBA family that's going to be like fuck management, I can I can really see it being his because like his family's like firsthand experience that like these people kind of suck. And look, I get it if you're his dad being pissed. Look, this guy is in a contract year and he hasn't been healthy and he hasn't been in a good environment for him. And you're not going to play him and you're not even going to trade him. Like you're basically forcing him into a situation where like what he can only get a one year, he can only get a one year deal next year. Yeah. A hundred percent. They're forcing him into that situation. So I mean, yeah. What, what could possibly be the explanation for, for not having traded him? I, I guess they're hoping to get something. Okay. I guess that it's a sunk cost situation a little bit where they took this guy number two and now they're like, fuck man, for us to draft him number two in the Luca draft and then trade him for a second round pick is like one of the biggest blunders in NBA history. Yeah, Literally. I, I, it's, it's like the Aiton thing. Teams do this. There's this, there's this saying that you're in baseball that they have, and it, it applies to all sports. But you know, like in baseball, like you're trying to field a ground ball and you boot it, it kicks off your glove, and the guy's sprinting down the first base. And the only chance you have to get the guy out to make up for your mistake is you got to get the ball and throw it really quick and hope that you can get him. You know what coaches tell you in baseball? They say, don't let one mistake lead to two. Because you know what happens when you're growing up and you try to rush that throw? You make a bad throw. You make you have one error turn into two. And it's like, hey, the Suns made the error of drafting DeAndre Ayton number one overall when Luka Doncic was in that draft, even though the guy was the best player in Europe as an 18 year old, which should have told you he was really good seeing as Aiden wasn't the best player in the NCAA as a freshman. Like, like that's like, Oh, let's just think who's better. Um, so the Suns said, you know what? We're not going to have one error picking Aiden lead to two giving Aiden a max deal right now until he's proven that he's worthy of that. That's, that's what smart GMing is now the Kings on the other hand, they made the error of selecting Bagley at two instead of, Luka Doncic or fuck even Trey Young would have been better and what are they doing they're making one error what's the error they drafted him 
what's the error now? They're not moving him for something because they're not going to give him an extension. So then they're not going to make that mistake. But if you're not going to give him extension and you drafted him, you're not going to move him. You're just basically saying we made a mistake. And now we're going to like, instead of admitting the mistake by moving him, we're going to make the mistake of not moving him. Right. It's, it's like one of those things where it's like with eight and it's like, people are like, you got to give him the max to prove that you drafting him number one overall wasn't stupid. No, it was stupid. But that's the point. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's one of those yes. things where like they're letting one error become two. It's, it's some cost fallacy, right? It's like, um, well, now we have to invest in this guy because we already invested the pick in him. It's like, yeah, but he's a bad investment. It doesn't really matter what you previously invested in. You don't want to double down on the investment if it's not a good one, right? But in, it's, it, the situations differ a little in that Aiden at least is like a viable NBA rotation player. Like, and, yeah, and really yeah, beyond a, that, like he's proven like he's, he's a good. starting, he's a starting caliber center. Yeah. Right. Whereas Bagley hasn't even demonstrated that he belongs in the NBA yet, really. Uh, and, and he has trouble staying on the floor. So I, I'm not sure what they do. Whereas because we're Phoenix, I think they, they go, okay, well, we'll run him back with Aiden and give him one more year to prove that he's worth the max. Maybe, maybe he can, you know? Uh, and if not, we'll see what he gets in restricted free agency and we'll act from there. Maybe he can't get a max in restricted free agency. So we can bring him back on 20 million a year, you know? But with Bagley, I think the Kings' hands are really tied. It's almost assured that they're not going to get anything for the number two overall pick. Yeah, well, that's what happens when guys get hurt and you create an environment that they will have zero success in. They're a poorly run franchise. Um, But let's talk about some of their, their less poor decisions. They got Tyrese Halliburton, who looks to have been a very good draft pick, considering I think he was the 11th pick. De'Aaron Fox... I'm not sold on, but he's a good NBA player. I think he's unfortunately overpaid for that. But, you know, when you're Sacramento, you have to overpay to keep players of Fox's quality. They drafted Davion Mitchell, who had a good summer league and preseason, but I am also not all that high on. So do you think that Sacramento can thrive with these incredibly small three guard lineups because they also have buddy healed and they also have um, Harrison Barnes who while is a, a wing, he's probably your starting power for it at this point. And so what I like what they're doing, they're, they're, they're doubling down on an identity of we're going to play small and fast. And when you're not a good team, just do that. Just, just pick, pick something and roll with it. And I like that the Kings are doing that. I completely agree. I, I like what they're doing, too, in a sense. I, I mean, I think we can both agree that certainly there's a ceiling on this and it's not all that high. But I, I do think they're going to make a spirited run in an attempt to make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs this year, it's the longest streak in NBA history. And realistically, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. But I do think they're going to put a, a, a good effort in and it's going to be fun to watch. And I, I wanted to say the same thing that you said. I like that they have an identity. Uh, these three guard lineups have the potential to be devastating against certain teams in certain scenarios on certain nights. Uh, it's just that they have also the potential to get pounded a, a, against good teams. You know, uh, I like that they're even bumping Harrison Barnes up a position and treating him as a four. Uh, very modern thinking. I, I like that, you know, the idea of a three-guard lineup with Barnes at the four and then Rashawn Holmes at the five uh, has a chance to be pretty effective, really fast, a lot of spacing, and then they've got Holmes to 
at least make up some of the difference, like on the glass and, and in terms of rim protection and to give you some of that big man stuff, you know, I, I'm taking the over on 35 and a half wins. And, and I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. And I think that they're going to lose in the play in tournament and miss the playoffs for the 16th year in a row, but it, it'll be a bit entertaining. I a hundred percent agree. The only, the only thing that I'm going to ask is if they make the play in, does the organization say that counts as making the playoffs? We did not set the record. Actually, it's, that's an interesting question. Well, well, beyond the organization, does the league, like do the record books, the record books will say they missed the playoffs for the 16th year in a row. I, I think so that it, it, it'll kind of settle a lot of those questions about like, what does the play in tournament mean? Like, well, yeah. it means Sacramento had the longest playoff drought in NBA history, apparently. But they were close to ending it. <laughs> yeah. They, they got to this other thing. That's brand new that, yeah. Yeah, I, I like the Kings. I, I don't like the plan. I, I like the Kings and that I think they'll be an interesting fun team. I don't think they'll be that good. And you know, maybe like who knows? Who knows? Maybe Fox takes a jump, really solidifies his ability to hit three pointer, especially you know, off the dribble and like step back variety. Halberton gets better, but this team was like one of the worst defenses in like the history of the league last year. Yeah, And unless Davian Mitchell is like Tony Allen reincarnated, I just don't know how you can have a good defense with, with Halliburton, Fox, and Mitchell out there. Not that Mitchell isn't a good defender. It's just that like then you're asking Halliburton and Fox to cover twos and threes or like, what, like whatever you're asking to do. Like those guys are going to get roasted every play. And so, I don't know, like, they're the type of team where, like, you know, Rudy Gobert would make a lot of sense for him. <laughs> um, just be like, fuck it, we'll have rim protection. Hell yeah. Well, Rudy Gobert would make a ton of sense for them, but uh, I, I, I don't see him coming to town anytime soon. Yeah. Um, they're going to they're gonna continue to suffer defensively. Really, Harrison Barnes isn't, like, an excellent defender either, I don't think. And put, putting him at the four probably only exacerbates that. Like, I think he's a solid defender but a little bit limited. Um, and particularly when you got three guards on the back line, it's like, Ooh, and then we got Harrison Barnes at the, at the four spot. It's like, you, you'd like a more defensive minded player, I guess, ideally, you yeah. know, right. Like you'd like a Jay Crowder. If it was Rashawn Holmes, Jay Crowder, Tyrese Halliburton, Davian Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox, I'd be a little more excited about that, but yeah, they'll be fun. Let's, let's, let, let's move on from the three guard Kings. Because uh, I think we're both pretty much satisfied, right? Yeah, definitely. All right. The Los Angeles Clippers. Okay. All right. The Clippers. The Los Angeles Clippers. Los Angeles is probably like third favorite team. I'm sure there's like, you know, some old school San Diego Rockets fans still in LA. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> more of them than there are Clippers fans. So the Clippers, they're, they're kind of in a weird position. Kawhi Leonard's probably not going to be here for most of the season. I heard reporting that people are optimistic he might be able to come back by March. I'll believe it when I see him and his gigantic hands on the court. Okay, let's talk about the significant moves that they brought in. They brought in Justice Winslow, who hasn't done much for a while due to injury but if he's healthy 
and recaptures some of what made him interesting in his uh, final season in Miami, that could actually be a pretty significant move. They drafted Keon Johnson, who was is like one of these hyper crazy athletic, high motor. He he's someone that could legitimately be all defensive type of player. Um, probably not as a rookie, but he'll have he'll have a role and he'll be able to do something pretty well at the NBA level, which is what good teams like out of their rookies. And then they traded for Eric Bledsoe, which. I think we talked about earlier. I was pretty high on it. His first game of the season, he was actually quite good. So I think, you know, if you have Eric Bledsoe and he's pretty solid, it could be a pretty good team. And then they lost Patrick Beverly, America's favorite junkyard dog. Um, and that's their pretty, that's their, I think their only significant outro. They gave uh, some extensions to Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann. But for the most part, this is going to be a team built around Paul George and a lot of good depth. So what do you think about the Clippers offseason? I I think it was good. I I, I think, as we said, if you were to take Kawhi's presence on the team as a given, they got better. It's just that. He's unlikely to play this year, like or play significantly this year. I I have a feeling it's a gap year for the Clippers. Essentially, I I, I think the outcome of the season doesn't really matter at all. You know, in, in so far as like without Kawhi, they've got no type of a ceiling. But the Winslow addition is pretty interesting. I guess he's going to be asked to be a facsimile, facsimile of of Kawhi Leonard this year. And the question is going to be, can he be thirty percent of Kawhi Leonard? Or is he 5% of Kawhi Leonard? You know what I mean? Because, like, if it's if it's the latter, then they might not be a very good team this year. But if he can make up those margins a little bit, it could be interesting. And then I wasn't really super high on the Bledsoe signing, but undeniably, he gives you a better edge on offense than they're missing on defense with Pat Beverly. You know what I mean? Because he's also a good defender. So it's it's, it's overall an upgrade. Yeah, they, they had a solid little offseason for a team that, that isn't expecting their best player. I think they did a good job. Last thing I would like to add is I took Paul George ninth overall in my points league. That's not not a bad move. It's it's funny because I looked at my team afterwards and I felt like I don't really like the looks of this team. It looks like a casuals team. Like Paul George, Bradley Beal, Rudy Gobert, OG Ananobi. These are my best players. I just thought, I don't know. I just thought like all these, like it's all these big names and Paul George is a guy that, maybe he's a little higher in the national consciousness than he actually is on the basketball floor, but it's working out pretty well so far. Paul George had like 60 fantasy points in his first game. And it's, it's he's going to be the, the benefactor of, of a heliocentric offense this year, I think, because they, they don't have a lot going on, man. Yeah. So I guess I'll give my one bit of fantasy advice as someone that loves advanced metrics and statistics, that shit isn't that important. What is important touches same for fantasy football it's it's not about actually how good you are it's about your volume yeah you know Paul George yeah. is gonna be a high volume scorer this season I mean he already was the last like that's basically what he's been throughout most of his career is a high volume score and now it's like it's like getting cranked from you know nine to 15 they're gonna be like Paul like we just there's gonna be some nights where he's gonna take 30 plus shots and, you know, for fantasy, it's great. I like what the Clippers did 
I think everything they did made them slightly better this year, slightly better next year, and gives them the flexibility to add a third star. They mortgaged their draft, all their drafts, to bring in Paul George. But the one thing that I will say is they have a lot of interesting youngish players on decent deals. And if you have a few of those, maybe you can't get like a superstar, but you can go get a pretty good player, right? And I think they're in that position where, or they can trade those pieces away to open up salary cap space if, for instance, Zach Levine becomes available, which I know a lot of people are kind of acting like won't happen, but we'll see. when the We'll see how the Bulls play against a good team. Yeah, uh, the Clippers are just waiting for Kawhi to come back. It's, it's, you know, it's like waiting for Godot. They're just like out there sitting around in like this misty existential place where they're like, huh, well, oh man, Paul George dropped 30. What's the meaning of life? Uh, and yeah, and yeah. I, I knew, I knew when I was thinking about the episode that it, they were going to be the hardest team to talk about because it's just like the, the whole story is they don't have Kawhi Leonard, you know, it's, it, well, maybe we should talk about Kawhi Leonard real quick. Because he's good. Kawhi Leonard is like, he's very interesting to me. He went from being the best player in the world because the Raptors won the championship and he was very, very good to not being even kind of in like the top five best players in the world discussion because the Clippers lost in the playoffs to the Nuggets, blowing a 3 1 lead. And then he said, all right. This postseason, I ain't fucking around. And, like, he had one of the greatest playoff series ever against the Mavericks. Like, he outdid Luka. And Luka's, like, a top 10 player in the league. And he went – Kawhi went God mode. And then he tore his ACL. I I think one healthy – over the past three seasons, Kawhi's been one of the five best players in the league, like, pretty easily and he's kind of oscillated from being best player in the league to kind of being like this weird afterthought and it really just proves the thing i always bemoan it's that people don't actually know how good basketball players are they literally just know the last playoff series he played in yeah here's here's my opinion on that first of all I'll start with kind of the negative, I guess. I never thought he was the best player in the world, and I still don't. Yeah, right. I just never thought that. Uh, He is not a very dynamic offensive player, to be honest. Does it go in? It goes in. That's No, I know. He's very solid, reliable offensive player. Uh, It's not that fun to watch, but that has no relevancy to anything. But I do think in comparison to, like, the very, very best players in the league, that lack of dynamic dynamic dynamism, dynamism. <laughs> struggling to fight. yeah um hurts him a little bit just a little bit again only when we're talking about the very upper crust like the reason he's not you know uh kd or Jokic or Giannis. after those three he's right there so yeah he's awesome he's awesome he's, 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 he's so he's so fucking good and it's just it's weird like people are like oh man the clipper is like you know it's weird. It's like everyone kind of understands he's understands that he is great, but there's this resistance to saying it almost or getting excited about it. Or it's just he's weird to me because he doesn't inspire any of the weird fanboy shit that you have, 
with certain players where people are like, I will die on the Russell Westbrook Hill. And you're like, again, I think it's just the sheer lack of, of, of dynamism. Like he's just not that exciting. He's just like, he, that he dunk just... though, the, in the playoffs, he had that one dunk where I, I forget who it was over, but he had this dunk where it was just, he just, it was like Kawhi, like turned back the clock, like 15 years. And was like, I'm gonna go. I, rem- I do, I do remember. Yeah, he he can throw it down. Like, no man, he's a, he's a top five player in, in in a world where every player in the league is 100 percent healthy. You know, in in that hypothetical scenario, he's a top five player. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Okay, so the Clippers are hard to predict, and I think this like is a testament to their depth, and that Paul George is also a good player. Their over under is 44 and a half wins. Most teams that lose their best player aren't projected to be like a 45 win team. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so yeah. Do we think, do you take the over or the under? I take the under. First of all, I especially hate to say this, obviously given my, my, my fantasy uh, oh, no. preferences, but is Paul George not guaranteed to get hurt this year? Like he, he usually gets hurt and he's about to have the highest usage he's probably ever had his whole career. You know what? Because he's going to have that high ass usage on offense, he's probably going to go to Tyron Louis be like, "Hey, you know, I can't play say- defense." Yeah, he's like, he's like, you know, people say I'm a two way player. Not this year. Yeah, maybe. It's, dude, honestly, it's like a, it's like a, was it a, it's like William Falke or the the guy who played um, the second in command in Star Trek: The Next Generation, the the like the the GIF meme where it's like him doing that sci fi show where he's like, nope. Not this time. Wrong again. Oh, yeah. I love, love that. <laughs> that yeah, one. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Tyron Lewis, like, hey, uh, Paul, can you play some defense? Not this time. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, it was a fabric. Dope. This one was invented by a writer. <laughs> it's a fabrication. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Pure fabrication. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be Paul George on defense this, this season. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, good for him. Like, they have some, they have good two way players around him. And, like, hey, like, his goal, is to keep the offense afloat and not get hurt. Like that's the goal for his season. And when Kawhi comes back, yeah, cool. Go ahead. That like, if Kawhi comes back, then that all changes, which is, I think the most interesting thing. If Kawhi comes back and he's, let's say like 80, not 80, let's say 90% of what he was last season. What do we think about their playoff chances? If they're in the playoff mix, what happens if Kawhi comes back? Do they instantly become no matter what seed they're at, like a championship contender? Because I would probably say, yeah. I'm going to say, hell yeah. Uh, I think we agree that the the Western Conference is a little bit weaker this year. Uh, I don't, and we'll get into this shortly, I don't necessarily have a ton of faith in the Lakers to to gel, really, you know? And yeah. if, if, if Kawhi Leonard comes back and he's 90% of himself, well, I think that the Warriors are going to wish they traded Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman for another star. I'll tell you that much because... <laughs> the, the, the Clippers are probably instantly better. And, uh, you know, I like the Jazz, but ultimately I, I, I think the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard have just got more star power, more offensive, like, weaponry. Like, they're probably well, better. Yeah, if we want to be really reductive, the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard could beat the Jazz. Um, so nah. <laughs> No, well, they, only if Mike Conley's hurt. I, mean, I, know, I, I was I was kind of joking on that one. Yeah. All right, yeah. Clippers are they're going to be super fun. I think they're actually be more enjoyable to watch than they were last year because when teams are kind of like 
back against the wall, diminished, just the expectations are gone. I feel like those teams always are like a bit more fun to watch because there's not that like, don't like make a fucking stupid, crazy pass because like, why the fuck not? Like, does it really matter if like we win this game? No. Yeah. They're, they're going to be loose. They're going to be loose. And I like Tyron. I think Tyron Lou is like the anti doc rivers. Doc rivers oh, yeah. is great at regular season. Tyron was like, it's like, yo man, like players, they crank it up in the postseason. That's how I'm going to coach. I'm just going to like crank up work. I'm going to save all of my good ideas for the postseason. I, I think Ty Lue is one of the better coaches in the NBA. I, I, and dude, what is this notion that, that coaches, some coaches feel like I'm not going to make adjustments. Like we're sticking to the game plan. It's like, okay, I would recommend making adjustments, you know, like, no, I'm not, I'm not an NBA genius by any means, but man, watching Mike D'Antoni as a Rockets fan for so long going, well, we're sticking to with the game plan. Like, it's frustrating. It's like, it's not working. You're allowed to, to make changes and you should. I, I love Ty Lue's open-mindedness to uh, making adjustments. So, so this is something that I think is interesting and I'm going to digress into soccer. In soccer, most of the elite coaches, this is their motto. If plan A isn't working, do plan A better. Now, the thing is, is that that works in a sport like soccer and makes sense in a sport like soccer because it's a weak link sport. It's a sport where like you, how good is your worst player determines how good your team is going to be a lot. It's about connecting 11 guys who have to like understand where they're going to be over pretty expansive distances, right? Like, you, you, you reason why that strategy works is because the sport is fundamentally different than basketball, right? Like you can't have an effective offense in soccer. If every time one of your players receives the ball, he looks up and tries to find an open teammate. He has to know where his teammates are as he's receiving the ball. Always. If you're going to be like an elite offense basketball, that's not the case. And also this is the other thing with basketball. It's a sport about maximizing your strong links and attacking your opponent's weak links, which basically means it's a sport that lends itself to adjustments, in-game adjustments, in-series adjustments. That's why they're like, sure, do plan A. There's, there's games where you're like, look, the game plan was good. We just didn't execute it. Those exist. But there's also games where it's like, hey, that game plan isn't going to fucking work. You got to find a new one. And I think Ty Lu is one of the best coaches at going, yeah, this, this isn't going to work. We got to try something else. And he tries it and he finds something that works. And that's why I, I love him because he's just, he's he basically, it's not like do plan A better. He's like, plan A is to do what works. And yes, that's, that's a great way to put it. It's like plan A is to try to win the game ultimately, right? Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, I, I can't comment enough on soccer to contribute. It sounds like a good comparison to me, but uh it's just the sports are fundamentally different and it's like if you want to do the like do plan a better coach fucking college or because like in the nba you're never going to have such an overwhelming talent advantage that you can just be like we're going to do it this way and it's going to work enough that like i'm going to keep my job i i, I want to make a digression a small one that is something that i've been thinking about a lot lately and, and i've sort of alluded to with you i think recently but there's wanting to win and then there's wanting to win a specific way, right? Yeah. Like, this is why I didn't like the kid hiring in Dallas. Because I think Jason Kidd has this mentality of, like, 
I need to put my stamp on this and I need to do it. I need to win in a way that people could say kid made these changes and that's why they won. Right. I don't think Ty Lue has that like ego. I, I, I think that he, he just wants to win period. Like, Yo, you know, how you know, he doesn't how have an ego, you know, you know, he doesn't have an ego. He let Allen Iverson step over him. Yeah. Which, honestly, you know, I'm going to digress very quickly. I'll let you finish your point. That AI stepping over Tyron Lue thing is like the most overrated play in NBA history. Tyron Lue gets fucking like knocked over slash tripped. AI doesn't cross him up. He gets like knocked over and then AI just like hits the shot and steps over him. But it's not like if he crossed him up and like broke his ankles and he fell to the ground, hit the shot and then stepped over him. I'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like I can ride with that, but that's not what happens. It's just AI stepping over someone after hitting a shot who got knocked down. Yeah. But Hey, look, man, it kind of reminds me of that thing of like, people say, Oh, you should be nice to the nerds because they're going to be your boss someday. Right? Well, here we are in 2021 Ty it an NBA head coach and Allen Iverson's like, not doing that well you know like not and not that i'm happy to hear that uh i like ai and everything but yeah tyloo is a uh, smart level-headed humble guy i think i really think he's one of the best coaches in the league i never understood why he didn't have a job between cleveland and the clippers i think we should that, move on to the lakers but i i love him yeah tyloo's great i think one of the reasons that tyloo didn't have a job in between that time is because he's not a dumbass and he's not one of those coaches like i'll just take Whichever job's available, I'll take. He's like, I coached LeBron. Like, I want to You're championship. probably right. I beat the 73-win Warriors. Why tarnish my reputation coaching some bullshit-ass team? You're probably right. You're probably right. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's what I would do. It's like Rick Carlisle. He's like, oh, yeah, Pacers are pretty good. Like, fuck it. They'll let me, they'll let me coach for the next decade as long as we make the playoffs. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. The other L.A. team. The Los Angeles Lakers, America's team, the world's team, LeBron James team. So this is going to take a while because I'm going to talk about their significant moves in and their significant moves <laughs> out. Because when I say they basically replaced the entire roster around AD and LeBron, they did. I mean, okay, Taylor Horton Tucker's there, but like that's about the only real holdover that's probably going to feature pretty prominently. So their big move, they brought in Russell Westbrook. Ooh, Mr. Triple-Double. They brought in Carmelo Anthony, former good NBA player. They brought in Rajon Rondo, also former good NBA player. They brought in Dwight Howard, another former good NBA player. They brought in Malik Monk, who might be an okay NBA player. They brought in Trevor Ariza, who's currently injured and at one point was a valuable 3 and D player. I'm not done. They brought in DeAndre Ayton, another former good NBA player. They brought in Kent Bazemore, Avery Bradley, and Kendrick Nunn. Oh, my God. That is what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They brought in ten guys that, feature, that you know, are probably expected to, like, pseudo round out this rotation. And to do that, they had to get rid of Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, who I think is, we both agree, a pretty valuable player for a contender. They lost Alex Caruso, who was a very good defensive player and was also pretty important to the team. They lost Andre Drummond. That's good. Um, they lost Jared Dudley to being a coach. They lost Marc Gasol to Spain. 
which I get. Spain seems nice. They traded away Montrez Harrell to the, uh, not the Los Angeles Wizards, but the Washington <laughs> Wizards. They traded away Kyle Kuzma, also the Wizards. They lost Markeith Morris, and they let Dennis Schroeder walk, who signed a very small offer to go play with the Boston Celtics. Oh, my God. That is so much. The Lakers, did they, what the, f- did they get better? <laughs> like, really? Like, they just, here's the thing. They did enough shit that they basically were going to win the, the opinion game. People are going to have a lot of opinions about this roster because you can't do this much and not generate some opinions. Here's what I think, man. Uh, I'm a little bit tired of doing the mental gymnastics that are required to convince yourself that this team is is serious. I think what we're going to learn watching this team this year is that fit matters and your team has to have a coherent concept behind it. You can't just aggregate talent. Uh, I told myself it could maybe work when it first happened, but I remember that they're 0 and 8 with Russ, man. I know preseason doesn't matter that much, but the thing is, is they started, they, they actually played their guys in preseason and, and they, they haven't gotten a win yet. I think they'll get better. Don't get me wrong, but ultimately it has always been the driving philosophy that you surround LeBron James with spacing. And there's a reason for that. It makes sense. It, it, it makes logical on court basketball sense. You can't, play Russell Westbrook with LeBron James. One of my friends said earlier, he said, it's becoming increasingly obvious to me that Russell Westbrook is going to run the second unit. That still doesn't work for me, man, because at the end of the day in, in, in playoff games, you need to have your best players on the floor at the end of the game. So that's if the idea, Russ. what's that? I don't think that's Russ. No. So, but if, so at the end of the day, if it's not Russ, then what they just significantly downgraded from last season because the whole idea was to get Russ. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I have this theory about Russell Westbrook and I think you'll like it. I teased this earlier and I think it's why he's such a divisive player. So, you know how most players, when you bump up their usage, their efficiency drops. And you know how most players, when you drop their usage, their efficiency rises. I think Russell Westbrook is a unique player in that his efficiency does not change based upon his usage. It's why he can be a high usage MVP. And it's why when he's a low usage player, he's garbage. His efficiency stays the same, no matter his usage rate. And so you're, it's like, he's a guy where it's like, Hey, if you have him, you want him to be the center of your team because he can have an efficient a level of efficiency at an insanely high usage rate that like very few people can have. But he also, if he is a lower usage player, he's going to maintain a relatively similar level of efficiency, which means he's not a good low usage player. And he, it's like basically no one in the NBA exists in that, in that realm of being like, Oh man, like you're not scalable. Like you can be scaled up, but you can't be scaled down. And so I think the move is going to prove to be really bad just because he is their third best player. Like, and that is like not a question. Anthony Davis is better than Russell Westbrook and LeBron James is better than Russell Westbrook. 
if you argue that you you don't know anything about basketball he's also like when i say he's a fucking liability on defense like i'm being nice like i'm being nice saying he's a fucking liability i'm tired of people talking about oh he tries so hard he works so i've seen that guy play defense he doesn't try on defense he doesn't pay the fuck attention he gives two shits about playing defense and he's the worst type of defender because he doesn't stay locked in and then he realizes his man is open and he sprints over to him in vain like it's not going to do anything he sprints over to him and the guy hits the shot and you kind of see him look around he's like i tried i was working hard bitch no like you weren't you weren't i'm sorry guys don't get that open on a guy with your level of athleticism if you're working hard you know it's just he does the cover my ass defense and he just hopes is the guy he's defending doesn't touch the ball. The Russell Westbrook trade I thought was dumb as fuck. Like I would rather have Contavious Caldwell Pope on this team than Russell Westbrook. Yeah, man. I think they I think they needed another playmaker just to kind of lo- lighten the load. But there were other ways that could have went, man. There, there are other things that could have done. They should have tried to make incremental upgrades. I I, I think this is going to be. A disaster honestly that's that that's where i'm leaning now it's it's, it's gonna be an unmitigated disaster what about spencer dinwiddie spencer dinwiddie would have yeah. been a great fit great fit a great fit what do you yeah. have to like give up someone maybe to get him in the sign and trade and you think the nets are your direct rival and you don't want to do that like that type of thinking is ridiculous I, I the westbrook trade is dumb and i'm sorry like mellow is gonna hit shots but he's he's a liability on defense Rondo, I think is just bad. I think he's just a bad, he's been bad for a while. He's not a good three point shooter and he's not a good defensive player anymore. He's a decent passer, but once again, you don't fucking need him when you have Westbrook and LeBron. Um, and then Dwight Howard, I, I don't like, I think people talk about it like hustle and toughness. I'm like, yeah, like he turns the ball over through offensive fouls. Like, two or three times in like a five minute period, like that's hurting your team. The the only hope for the Lakers is that Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn like play well. And if those two guys can play well, they have a shot. See, the issue is the issue is that like, okay, so suppose Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk both took significant steps forward this year. Right. And and look, yeah, that, that would be awesome for them. But like, I mean, they can't phase Russ out, can they? Like, yeah, like they can. You can fucking... Here's the thing. When you're trying to win a championship and you are LeBron James, you're the greatest player of your generation, you might be the greatest player in history. If Westbrook doesn't like it, you can say, guess what? You wear zero as your number for a reason. <laughs> like, you can but, just say that straight up to his face. And he, if he wants to fight you, get rid of him. Take the 40 million L. It doesn't matter. Because... If he's not going to like be willing to run the second unit and be willing to like try on defense and be willing to like figure out how to be useful off ball, there's no point. Cause we saw opening night, an offense built around LeBron and AD or a team is, is, is championship contender. If you have the right pieces around them. Yeah. It's just hard for me to envision a Lakers championship run where Russ is mainly responsible for running the second unit for, for like 23 minutes a night or something, because once they get to at least the finals, they're going to run into a team with three dynamic offensive players on the floor at all times, you know? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So it's there. Ross was a big mistake. That was a big mistake, man. It was a really, it was an unforced error. I, I, the thing that I don't understand about the Lakers offseason is before Davis got hurt, before LeBron got hurt, before Schroeder got COVID, that team was like probably the best team in the league. Why did you need to break it up? You had like a ton of really solid, good depth built, built around your two top 10 players or top 10 talent players, right? Like you didn't win the championship or go deep in the playoffs because one of them was out injured and the other one was playing injured. It's not like complicated. And if you want to get a third star, Westbrook ain't that fucking dude anymore. Everyone knows it. Everyone that has a has works in NBA front offices know it. You know how you know they know it? Because the only fucking trade to get him out of Houston was for John Wall and a first round pick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, what are we talking about here? For fucking John Wall. And you gave up Contavious Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, and a draft pick. To, like those are three guys that help your team. Yep. I think maybe, dude, another aspect of this is, is, is the driving philosophy behind it was, okay, well, we've never seen Russ as the third best player on a team, so maybe that could be devastating. But the issue there, as you essentially already pointed to, is he's not built to be that. He's either the best player on your team or he's useless, right? Yes. That's that's the nature of his player type. So yeah. it's not going to so change. He's so unique. He's so unique in that way. And I think it's one of the reasons why some people think he's amazing and other people think he sucks. It's like, look, he can if he's your best player on your team, he's he's a good player. That team will never be a championship contender. And the only guy that he's ever been able to like really effectively pair with has been Kevin Durant, who is the most like versatile superstar in terms of like what you can ask of him on offense. He can play off ball. You can be your, like he can, he can do anything because he's tall, can shoot, dribble, do, do whatever. And like, look, like it's just, he, to me is he's the ultimate, put him on a bad team, make him a borderline playoff team type player, but put him on a good team. He doesn't make, he doesn't raise their ceiling an inch. Completely agree, man. Okay. So Let's... the Lakers are 0 and 2, and their over under is 52 and a half wins. So that means to get the over, they need to go 53, they need to win 53 of their next like 28 games or something. Something like, no, 53 and 28 as add up. 53 and 27. 53 and 27. There, I did math. So can they go 53 and 27 and get the over? No, I'm taking the under. I'm, 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 I'm just absolutely taking the under. I think, I think I've been clear enough on why that would be the case. You know, like I, I, I use the words unmitigated disaster. So that, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I think this is they're, they're, they're going to go under. I, I just don't, I don't think they, I think they actually downgraded most of their roster. Like I think Marcus Gasol and Montrez Harrell are better than Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan. I think. Contavious Caldwell Pope and Alex Caruso are better than Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn. I think I'd rather have Markeith Morris and Dennis Schroeder over Trevor Ariza, Carmelo Anthony, Rajon Rondo, or Russell Westbrook. Yeah, like Kyle Kuzma. Like Kyle Kuzma's been pretty good for the Wizards, right? Like I know you don't like him a ton, but like 
he's not a bad player and his contract isn't horrible. I heard that they had a deal to like get Buddy Heald and someone else from the, the Kings. Dude, Woj announced that deal as done. I, I was with my two of my best buddies who are Lakers fans. And I was like, oh, shit, the Lakers got Buddy Heald. And then 10 minutes later, it was like, oh, hold on. The Lakers got Russell Westbrook. And uh, yeah, Woj kind of jumped the gun for once in his life. And like that deal was done. No, this no, no, what this tells you. This tells you that they fucked up and listened to a basketball player. And Russell Westbrook, I understand why basketball players think he's great because he is a great basketball player, but he's a great basketball player because you can be like, yo, you can put shit around him. You can drag that team to like 40 wins. Like only good players can do that. It's like, yeah, but like, we're not a fucking 20 win team. We're like a 50 win team without Westbrook. We need a guy who's good at raising that ceiling. And that's just not his skill set. But LeBron goes, wait, we can get Westbrook. Westbrook's better than Buddy Heald. Sure, he's better than Buddy Heald. But like, here's the thing. Buddy Heald can hit a fucking open jump shot. Buddy Heald's better at playing next to you, LeBron. Oh, but I, I want someone else to like, you know, be able to handle some of the playmaking responsibilities. No, you don't. Wait, what? I, I'm sorry. That notion to me pisses me off. LeBron is one of like the five best passers in the league. Why the fuck do we, you want him to do less passing? You don't have to run around to be a good passer. You can just stand there and pass. Like it's a, like being a dope passer is like a low, can be a low intensity endeavor. Surround him with more shooting and more offense. And he, his passing can be, he'd be like, oh, boom, open. I, I think it's fair enough that they needed a second playmaker. I just don't think it had to be Russell Westbrook. That's all. Like It should not have been Russell Westbrook. In fact, it definitely should not have been Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go with the under on this, but there, the sliver of hope for the over is it's early. And so I think, you know, we, you noticed how many new pieces they have. This team may take a while to really figure shit out. So I don't want to overreact to those first two games. Russell Westbrook, if he runs the second unit, this team could be really good for 48 minutes in the regular season. And you could then scale back LeBron's minutes and AD's minutes pretty significantly if Westbrook's doing a good job with the second unit. The only concern I have is the guys you want to surround Westbrook with are the same guys you want to surround LeBron and Davis with. And you can't play those guys 40 minutes a night. Because they're old as fuck. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll I, see. I'm taking the under. Yeah, I'll take the under too. But I believe in LeBron and AD, and I believe that LeBron will just go, "Fuck, this was a mistake." Westbrook, this is this is the deal. And if Westbrook says no, he goes, "All right, we're gonna Ben Simmons you. Go home. <laughs> go home, you big baby." Um, <laughs> okay, that's the episode of episode twenty. Of from downtown hope you enjoyed our pacific division preview we digressed a little bit but i don't think we actually talked about ben simmons or kyrie irving so we didn't congratulations to us we're like we're the strongest podcast out there we we we, we, we restrained ourselves <laughs> <laughs> okay remember like subscribe share us with your friends your family 
maybe not your worst enemy because I keep saying that and our views or listens don't go up. So maybe that's been what's turning people off. Maybe it's been <laughs> the really long length of these podcasts. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm James. Do you have anything you want to plug outside of uh, irrational jazz propaganda slash uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I'd like to plug Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. That's that, that, that's my plug for the week just to make sure that we mentioned them. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, I'd like to plug space city scoop, you know, trying to get a bunch of articles out now that the season has started rockets. Aren't a good team aren't they might be kind of interesting, fun to watch at times. Yeah. Yeah. But I am a huge, I want to, I want to give a shout out to Alperin Shingun. He is like, he's not good yet, but that dude only tries to make boss ass passes. Like I I have, I'm sure you, you watched, but like the dude only tries to make incredible passes. And I love it because they don't, they're not falling all the time, but part of that's because Christian, Christian Wood is, has never played with someone that crazy. So he's just not quite ready for it. Um, but as this team gets used to him like flinging no look passes every time he touches the ball, I think, I think it could be something really special. How do you feel about his uh, his passing diet? I mean, I love it. At the same time, he had like six turnovers in eighteen minutes last night, right? Like it was great. Uh, he he is long term. He's going to have to learn. Like okay, it's it's okay to pass the ball without it being like a highlight dime. Like sometimes you just make a quick lateral pass. You need, he needs to look for like hockey assists a little more and stuff, but who cares this year, man? He's, he's a ton of fun. I love the kid. He plays really hard, which I love. Let him, let him throw his crazy passes, you know? Yeah. He's great. He's great. I I have really high hopes for him and he's only going to get better. All right. That was episode 20 from downtown. See you next week. Peace. Peace.